0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 26th edition of the WorkComp Academy weekly news. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our crime report. Orthopedic surgeon Philip Sobel, MD, agreed with Michael Drobot to receive kickbacks in exchange for performing surgeries at the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach or referring spinal surgery patients to physicians who had performed the spinal surgeries at that hospital. Sobol and Drobot concealed the kickbacks through a series of sham agreements, including a management agreement and option agreement. Sobol received about $5.2 million in kickbacks. Sobal entered into an agreement to plead guilty in 2015 to a two-count information that charged him with conspiracy and interstate travel in aid of a racketeering enterprise. The United States Probation Office reported that his sentencing range was 46 to 57 months imprisonment, but prosecutors say the court should apply an additional two-level increase because the offense involved more than 10 victims. He was recently sentenced to the custody of the Bureau of Prisons for a term of 21 months. He will then be placed on supervised release for a term of three years. He was ordered to surrender himself for incarceration by July 16. The court recommended the confinement at the Lompoc, California facility. Anthem Blue Cross is accusing Sonoma West Medical Center and Palm Drive Healthcare District of participating in a $13.5 million fraud scheme. Anthem threatened legal action and demanded the money be repaid. District and hospital officials say they've done nothing wrong and are preparing a response to the insurance giant. Anthem claims that the medical center appears to have conspired with several third parties to fabricate or misrepresent claims for toxicology testing services that were improperly billed to Anthem. Anthem alleges the fraudulent billing began after Sonoma West Medical Center partnered with Florida-based Dural Capital Holdings and its testing laboratory Reliance Laboratory Testing. The partnership with Dural was forged last year as a way to help the financially strapped hospital. In exchange for more than $2 million in much-needed funds, the hospital agreed to conduct toxicology testing for Dural using part of the money to buy equipment. The medical center's CEO said the arrangement has been extremely helpful for the hospital, which has actually started showing a profit since September. The insurance company says that healthcare providers from around the country send their patients' specimens to Reliance's Florida facility, which then distributes specimens to various labs for screening, including the one at Sonoma West Medical Center. Reliance Labs keeps a portion of the specimen and conducts testing on it, while purportedly passing on a portion of the sample to Sonoma West for additional testing. Sonoma West bills Anthem for some or all of this testing, representing that it had performed the services when in fact it had not. Anthem said drug testing on urine samples were for patients who had no connection whatsoever with Sonoma West. The patients were not treated at Sonoma West, nor were they treated by a physician connected with the Sonoma West facility who ordered laboratory services to be performed there. Anthem's letter pointed out that the medical center as a hospital receives substantially higher amounts for urine drug testing, often 10 times or more than Anthem would pay clinical laboratories like Reliance. An Oakland orthopedic surgeon and popular AME who surrendered his medical license last year on grounds of sexual and unprofessional conduct has now also been suspended from participating in California's workers' compensation system. The DWC said Dr. John David Warbritton III was one of 20 medical providers it recently suspended from participating in the workers' compensation system, bringing the total number of providers suspended to 197. Warbritton was a graduate of Harvard Medical School in 1980 and had an office at Frank Ogawa Plaza in Oakland. He surrendered his medical license on April 7, 2017, after the California Medical Board accused him of sexually harassing two of his workers' compensation patients. Warbritton is also facing felony criminal charges in federal court for allegedly transporting child pornography. He was initially released on an unsecured bond. But after the pretrial services officer reported a violation of his conditions of release, possessing child pornography images on a mobile phone, the court held a bail review hearing in January 2017 and decided to place him in the Santa Rita jail pending his trial. Last May, he filed a motion to reopen his detention hearing. His lawyers claim that Dr. Warbritton was suffering from both opioid use disorder and sexual impulsivity disorder at the time of his detention hearing. They claim he subsequently began treatment for his opioid addiction and that his incarceration ultimately allowed him to dry out from the use of opioids. Prosecutors opposed the motion, claiming War Britain has been a hands-on offender and was arrested after returning to the United States from Thailand, where he admitted to agents he has spent long periods of time for the last several years. And among the child pornography taken from him, one photo collage depicted him along with an Asian female aged between 8 and 10 years old. Prosecutors say this photograph collage also raises concerns about whether he may be a hands-on offender or someone who is preparing to do so. Prosecutors concluded by saying there are no conditions of release that could reasonably assure the safety of the community. Thus, Warburton remains in custody now, awaiting trial. And in regulatory news, the 2017 California legislative session ended with the governor signing into law a number of bills affecting California employers. The laws about what employers can ask job applicants continue to evolve. There are two new areas of inquiry that are now not allowed. AB 168 bars employers from asking job applicants about their previous salary. The legislation's goal is to narrow the gender gap by preventing employers from basing offers on prior salary and thus presumably perpetrating historical discrimination. This will also remove the perceived gap in negotiating power between an employer and employees who must disclose their prior salary. AB1008 precludes employers from inquiring about an applicant's conviction history until after a conditional offer of employment, and imposes new limitations upon and disclosure requirements for considering conviction history information. Employers who wish to rely on criminal conviction information to withdraw a conditional job offer must notify the applicant of their preliminary decision, give them a copy of the report, if any, explain the applicant's right to respond, Give them at least five business days to do so and then wait five more business days to decide what to do when an applicant contests the decision. There are exceptions for employers who operate health facilities hiring employees who will have regular access to patients or drugs. And there are new requirements for leave, pay, and other protection for workers. SB 3 increases California's minimum wage to $11 in January 2018 and to $15 by 2022. SB 63 requires employers with between 20 to 49 employees to provide up to 12 work weeks of parental leave. AB 450 prohibits employers from allowing federal immigration agencies access to worksites unless certain conditions are met. And SB 396 requires that the currently mandated sexual harassment training for supervisors be expanded to include gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation. AB 46 indicates that public employers subject to Equal Pay Act violations. And AB 1710 discusses hostile work environment protections for military service members. And in medical news, a vast research study that sought to settle a long-standing debate about whether or not antidepressant drugs really work has found that they are indeed effective in relieving acute depression in adults. The international study, a meta-analysis pulling results of 522 trials covering 21 commonly used antidepressants and almost 120,000 patients uncovered a range of outcomes with some drugs proving more effective than others and some having fewer side effects. But all 21 drugs including both off-patient generic, off-patent generic, and newer patented drugs were more effective than placebos or dummy pills. The study was published in the Lancet Medical Journal. Researchers from Stanford University said antidepressants are routinely used worldwide yet There remains considerable debate about their effectiveness and tolerability. But now these new findings offered the best available evidence to inform and guide doctors and patients and should reassure people with depression that drugs can help. In general, newer antidepressants tended to be better tolerated due to fewer side effects, while the most effective drug in terms of reducing depressive symptoms was m a drug first discovered in the 1950s. Some well-known medicines, such as the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor fluoxetine, sold under the brand name Prozac, were slightly less effective but better tolerated. The scientists noted that their study could only look at average effects, so should not be interpreted as showing that antidepressants work in every patient. Only about 60% of people prescribed depression medication improve, and about one-third of patients with depression will not respond to medication. Switzerland's Novartis AG is preparing to auction its generic pill business, looking to shed a unit that has struggled amid fierce price competition. The move illustrates how the unit has diverged from the fortunes of the rest of the company's $10 billion Sandoz Generics and Biosimilars division. The company has fared better in manufacturing hard-to-make generic drugs such as injectables and inhalables than it has with easier-to-produce pills. Novartis's general pills business could fetch as much as $1.6 billion if sold. Novartis has been looking for new blockbusters after its top seller, blood cancer drug Gleevec, lost its cancer protection. It is counting on approvals for new drugs against macular degeneration, a cause of blindness and migraine, in partnership with U.S. drug maker Amgen, as well as a pair of new multiple sclerosis drugs to revitalize its growth. Novartis also said last year it is considering a spin-off of its eye care business, Alcon. Although long derided as pseudoscience and still questioned by many medical experts, acupuncture is increasingly being embraced by patients and doctors as an alternative to opioid medication. The military and Veterans Affairs medical system has been offering acupuncture for pain for several years. Some insurance companies cover it, and now a small but growing number of Medicaid programs in states hit hard by opioid overdoses have started providing it for low-income patients. Ohio's Medicaid program recently expanded its coverage after an opioid task force urged state officials to explore alternative pain therapies. While there's now been a lot of research on acupuncture for different types of pain, the quality of the studies has been mixed and so have the results. Federal research evaluators say there's some good evidence acupuncture can help some patients manage some forms of pain, but they also have described the benefits of acupuncture as modest and say more research is needed. While research continues, insurance coverage for acupuncture keeps expanding. California Massachusetts, Oregon, and Rhode Island pay for acupuncture for pain through their Medicaid insurance programs. Massachusetts and Oregon also cover acupuncture as a treatment for substance abuse, though scientists question how well it reduces the cravings caused by chemical dependency. The California Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule for Workers' Compensation Treatment Contains an acupuncture section, and acupuncture is appropriate treatment in some circumstances. The largest federal government insurance program, Medicare, does not pay for acupuncture. TRICARE, the insurance program for active duty and retired military personnel and their families, also does not pay for it either. But VA facilities offer it, charging no more than a copay. Acupuncture has been practiced in China for thousands of years and customarily involves inserting thin medical needles into specific points in the ears or other parts of the body. Practitioners say the needles applied at just the right spot can restore the flow of a mystical energy called qi through the body and that can spur natural healing and pain relief. In government surveys, 1 in 67 U.S. adults say they get acupuncture every year, up from 1 in 91 a decade ago. That growth has taken place even though most patients pay for it themselves. 2012 figures show only a quarter of adults getting acupuncture had insurance covering the cost. About a decade ago, the Military and Veterans Affairs began promoting a range of alternative approaches to pain treatment, including acupuncture, yoga, and chiropractic care. Now, two-thirds of military hospitals and other treatment centers offer acupuncture. The National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, a federal scientific research agency, is teaming up with the Pentagon and the VA, to spend $81 million on research projects to study the effectiveness of a variety of non-drug approaches to treating chronic pain. And in other industry news, Crawford & Company announced the expansion of its service portfolio in Australia to include workers' compensation. This capability will be delivered through Broadspire, the TPA solution of Crawford & Company. The company's workers' compensation service offering will support existing customers and other large insurers, corporations, and government departments. As part of its market launch, Broadspire is sponsoring the 19th annual National Workers' Compensation Summit in Sydney, Australia. Broadspire's workers' compensation claim solution includes injury management services, legal cost containment, subrogation, and a full suite of analytics. This is combined with medical management and multidisciplinary expertise that it says can help ensure a swift and healthy return to work for employees. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device, by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Worker's Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarin, Minukian, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.